Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard. A pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. Oh, the chicken. Double time. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I'm really glad to have you here. Thank you for joining us in studio. Actually, in studio because of the bye week for the rest of the week. That has not happened since July. So we are in studio the remainder of the week, but glad you are here. We have a lot of news to sift through. If you stayed up late last night and watched the Pacers and Golden State, you absolutely loved what you saw. We'll talk about that coming up in a minute. And actually, I will tell you this. I want to lead with that. And what we end up doing is I do what I want, but I also consider what you guys want. So this is twofold. I certainly want to talk about the Pacers last night because it was enjoyable. Andrew Nimhart with 31 was outstanding. Shot making, playmaking, defensive play, I mean, outstanding. And against Steph Curry. Was checking Steph Curry. And it wasn't all because of his defense. But Steph Curry was miserable from the field last night. I think Golden State had won. And I know you're going to say, well, Golden State's not as good. And, you know, regular season's been a bumpy ride so far. I think they'd won 10 straight at home. But if you hung with it, that was a game worthy of hanging with it. And the Pacers did it without Halliburton and Turner and McConnell. And Duarte still certainly injured. So when you went into it, you thought, oh, wow, okay, this is going to be a struggle. And I'm going to get to Andrew Nimhart in just a second. Because he was great last night. He has been really good and well above my expectations, and I had watched a ton of his games while he played collegiately. But I mentioned this thing is twofold. We normally go where I want to go, but I'll also give you a little bit of a heads up, and I'll give you my thought on this. Complete and full disclosure, 100% honesty, I don't even have to tell you. I don't ever seem to have to tell you, hey, you're getting the 100% truth from me because that's something that you just know. That's something that you know that you're getting. I don't have to remind you of that. Others may, I don't. Never have, never will. I sit here before you right now 
not really wanting to talk one single ounce about the latest story regarding Andrew Luck. And it's not because I'm some local media meathead and fire and vitriol from what took place. I don't care anymore. I have seen it all. I have heard it all. We know the outcome. We know where they are. And this is nothing either against, and I don't want it to come off that way because Seth Wickersham has always seemed like a really good dude and always able to come on and always cool when he came on. But in this case, I'm not interested. And I don't know if I have now, I guess I have fully factored that in to class basketball. That's how I'm going to categorize it. Class basketball, Pete Rose Hall of Fame. Ryan Grigson, all that crap that I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe, and I also believe deep down in my sports heart, that you also would agree with me on this. Stuff that is old and is tired and we're kind of done with. I put it in that category. There used to be the Bob Knight can't win anymore thing back in the day. I talk about this all the time. You know, back in the day when you needed to inspire some calls or motivate, and this is even before I did it. You just bring up class basketball or Bob Knight can't coach anymore or Pete Rose and Hall of Fame, and hey, there you go. Everybody's going to call up and have an opinion, and that's great, but that's not for the betterment of what you're doing. And that's why I'm going to give you the option here because I don't really feel as if I want to talk too much about it. I'm not putting a time limit on it. I'm not suggesting right now because I brought it up that I'm doing it for a reason. I'm just I'm giving you the option and telling you that I'm really not down with it and we don't have to do it. Honestly, I'd be happy. But because we're on the same level and because we all end up talking about what we want to talk about, I'm not going to keep you from doing it, but I hope you go down the same path as me and just kind of go, okay, there's a lot of stuff in there. Great reporting, great stories, but man, I don't care. I would rather, much rather hear the Jeff Harrod story that was written by Zach Kiefer in The Athletic than I would this one. There's just nowhere else to go. I think the only redeeming quality I got out of it was the message in the bottle song by the police. That was pretty good. Uh, in case you didn't read it, and again, that's cool. The message in the bottle song involving the police was a, a song evidently that gave then-coach Frank Reich a premonition that 12 wanted to return. I'll send an SOS to the world. So I think Frank on that particular day was dialed into 70s on 7 on Sirius XM. Or listening to the police greatest hits. Something. That's about it. The other stuff, yeah, whatever. And again, I'm not mad. But it's pretty far back. And I, I also I consider the same thing. Anytime everybody wants to go with the whole Gregson thing, I leave that for others. I don't care about that. You care about the now and care about stuff that's going to happen in the future. We try to talk about what's going to happen in the future. But again, I always leave it open. 
I'm not suggesting that I will not. If you call up, I'm going to go, hey, you know what? We're not going to do any of this. But I'm hoping that you feel the same as I do. And I'm hoping you feel the same as I do without having to put up a Connecticut water question of the day to poll it. I don't think I want to poll it. You know, some people would be really happy, right? Some people would be really happy as this team goes into a bye week amid just a high level of disappointment. And, man, this gives you some content now. You just kind of yank this out of your rear end, don't have to do anything. Here's some time. I'd rather not do that. Rather not do it. Colts bye week. but And, again, that is not at all taking a shot at the author. That's just kind of where I am right now. I'm still, we'll still talk about the shortcomings of this team, which is ridiculous. Going into the bye week, coming out of the bye week. In the power rankings right now, by the way, if you pay attention to those in the power rankings, they are, I believe, we're running 25th right now, something like that. What did I say earlier? 27th? Yeah, that's really good. Really fun. Really fun team to watch. Fun team to pay attention to right now. With a myriad of questions. Where they're going, who's going to coach them, who's going to quarterback them. You know, all those questions that really make, especially year after year, maybe not the coach them thing, but the year after year with the quarterback thing, it makes you a very stable franchise. Very easy to reach those goals that you're constantly telling folks around here. Here's what's going to happen. But I would much rather talk about that. I would much rather talk about the Pacers last night, for example. Now, Jeff Brom, what Jeff Brom's decision is going to be. Now, this sequel for him and Louisville is going to have to be better, right, than the original? Not often do you have a sequel that's better than the original. Can anybody come up with one? A sequel that's better than the original. Like Debbie Does Dallas 2 is not better than Debbie Does Dallas 1. I'm just making that up. I don't know if there is a sequel to that. I'm assuming there is because somebody could make a dollar and a half off of it. Airplane 2 is not better than Airplane 1. Caddyshack 2 is definitely not better than Caddyshack. You know what I mean? And normally, the sequel is not better. You got something for me? Terminator? Terminator. What? There's no way in this world the second Terminator is better than the original. None. Zero. <laughs> no way in the world. It was Linda Hamilton was smoke. Smokedify. Was that the one where Linda Hamilton got all buff? Got all muscular? I like the smokedified 1984 version of Linda Hamilton a lot better than I did the muscling up version. So that alone would lead me to the original. But what I'm trying to say is the original with Jeff Brom was uh, the timing isn't light. That's what we learned, right, from what he said. I think over the uh, late spring, back in May, when he did one of those football luncheons down in Louisville when he was asked about the last time that job was opening up. And by the way, Louisville and Cincinnati is really weird, right? So the Louisville coach is going to go coach Cincinnati, and then Cincinnati and Louisville is going to play in a bowl game. That's outstanding work right there. That is outstanding work. But you would have to think for Jeff Brom, considering what he has done at Purdue, where he is right now, and there's always something pretty cool about going home. Maybe not for everybody. And we'll talk to Greg Rakestraw about that coming up at the bottom of the hour. Greg Rakestraw is from Lanesville, Indiana, which would be a northern suburb of Louisville. 
a northern suburb of Louisville. Uh, the Brom family name, and I think he—I think it was Jake that told me that we were talking a little bit earlier today off the air, and I think he, I think Greg made the connection between the Brom family in Louisville kind of being like, you know, the Manning family, for example. You know, name-wise, played at Louisville, recognized for playing football, being high-level athletes from the father to the sons, whatever. So I think we would all be incredibly surprised if he decided to stay in West Lafayette. So for him, the sequel may end up being better than the original. Doesn't always happen, but in this case, it just might. So we can hit that up if you guys like as well. If you watched the Pacers last night, I mentioned Andrew Nimhart, who had 31. Andrew Nimhart was a guy that I've watched a great deal. He was a transfer from Florida, went to Gonzaga, played for Mark Few, was outstanding up there. And this is twofold as well. You can tell with Gonzaga, Gonzaga had to survive Kent State at home last night. And you can tell with Gonzaga that they miss. There's not, I mean, Chip Holmgren was on that team last year, no doubt you miss that. But more so than anything else, what they're missing right now is Andrew Nemhart. And that's something that I guess didn't show up all the time with those teams he was a part of in Spokane because there was so much talent to go around. Now, Holmgren, Timmy, Strother, who is still there. AIA, who was there a year prior, two years prior. You know, Jalen Suggs, who's now in Orlando, was another. You know, they had these constantly had these, these transfer guys coming in. I think uh, Cook, a couple of years ago, was a dude from Southern Illinois that came in and, and gave them help off the bench. And probably others I'm just leaving out right now. But he had been on a team that was full of talent. And maybe what we see right now was not what he felt he had to offer with those teams directed by Mark Few. And I brought this up before. I thought he was going to be good, and I hoped he was going to be good. I just didn't think that he was going to show like this so early. It is a long season. It is one game. But I think if you watch the Pacers, if you just read a box score, you wouldn't know. Box score readers won't know. But if you actually watch the games, you can tell that this guy absolutely at the guard position is well beyond his years and certainly well beyond where I thought he was going to be in his rookie season, in the first two months of his rookie season. Last night, he let it all out. And I mean let it all out. Offense, defense. One of the best highlights out there was the step back three he knocked down late in the fourth, right in the grill of Steph Curry. And Curry kind of jogged away to go down to the offensive end, shaking his head. Again, it's a game. One game in a long season. But last night was incredibly fun to watch. He has fit in nicely with this group. And you have to give credit right now where credit is due. And I know that Rick Carlisle did that as well. Kevin Pritchard, Chad Buchanan, for seeing this. That was a part of that deal. That was the second rounder they got as a part of that deal. They have a first rounder still on tap. Part of that deal for Karis Levert. That looks pretty good right now.
top of the second round to give him a lot of money. And the guy that I watch right now is certainly more to what I saw than at Gonzaga, but maybe it's because that's what his job was. That's what he did. I mean, again, don't get me wrong. He was a top-level player there, too. But I didn't see this coming as quickly. Honestly, you look around the landscape of rookies, he is right up there. And certainly his teammate is up there among the elite level of those rookies in Benedict Matherin. But he is right up there. Fun as hell to watch, 31 last night. And that was, that's a good one because you don't want to go go back home after a seven-game Western Road swing with one win. And that one win was that made three over a week ago on that Monday night against the Lakers at the Horn. And sure, they've been blown out. Sacramento blew them out. The Clippers did. The Blazers got all over them. Jazz did the same thing. But you want to scratch together, at the very least, a couple of wins. And see what you can do coming up tomorrow night in Minneapolis against the T-Wolves. A little get back against them, maybe. But even made more impressive last night because it was done. It was done without some of your major contributors so far this season. And see, I get a level of jackassery on my Twitter account. Not many get. I'm very fortunate to have that level of jackassery here. In fact, I celebrate it. I embrace it. So last night and into this morning, I was getting that level of jackassery, and somebody had said, hey, um, Miles doesn't look happy on the bench or not celebrating all those guys. That is what makes this even more entertaining. These guys are all on board with their teammates. You know, I mentioned this to Greg Rakestraw. I think it was last week. I can't remember when exactly. I think it was last Tuesday, right? When I compared this group to that group that surprised with Oladipo when Corey Joseph was on the team. Remember that moment where Corey Joseph had scored an and one and was knocked down to the floor and his teammates came off the bench and lifted him up and he's smiling and laughing. It was like that one signature moment photo of the season where the teammates were celebrating the guy that just made the play and enjoying one another. You haven't seen a lot of that. I haven't seen a lot of enjoyment of one another. It's good to see the enjoyment of teammates. You don't see that enough. But hopefully you watched that last night. If you did and you stayed up for the entirety of it, you're probably a little bit tired today. Shout out to Chris Denary who sent me that 2 a.m. text, and indeed I was up. And I think what was on last night, <laughs> but I was. I was. This was going to be a little bit different. So I guess now I'm just going to have to sleep down in the parking garage. And normally what I do is I'll drive to a remote and I'll go sit in the parking lot for a little bit, turn on a little Sirius XM, kind of chill out a little bit the music as I always do. Because sometimes I send out those TikTok videos that show you that. But I have been taking naps in the truck. And I said yesterday it was to a point where I had a policeman not long ago come up and kind of tap on my windshield to make sure I was alive. I was alive. Just getting a power nap. We called that a power nap back in the day. I used to do that in my 20s before we went out and we knew we were going to be out until like four in the morning when you're 20s. When you and the fellows are you in a group, I was a group date guy. Always a group date. So you knew you're going to be out to well past 3 a.m. 
So you had to grab a power nap someplace. So the power nap was big time back in my 20s. I just haven't utilized it as much now, but I think I'm starting to maybe zone back in on the power nap. At least moving forward, we will with the power nap. Uh, We shall see. It looks like Caleb Williams. Does Vegas just think Caleb Williams is going to be handed the Heisman? You see the odds on Caleb Williams winning the Heisman? That's incredible. This is kind of a bad year for the Heisman, right? And then Hooker gets hurt. He probably would have won it. If not, Blake Corum got hurt. He might have won it if he didn't get hurt. Just kind of like who's the last man standing this year? Yeah, I guess you can look at it that way. You think Caleb Williams is a better quarterback than anybody you believe that the Colts are oh, going to be able to yeah. get in this draft? He would be the number one pick if he was eligible this year. So the 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 haunting, the bad karma, whatever it is, still slep rock cloud wise hangs over them, haunts them. You're going to have to do because you're going to have to, going to have to right, draft a quarterback. And to get up to somebody that you really want, you're going to have to do some moving and some shaking. The late, great Eddie Money with the shaking. Because it's just not going to fall to you. And this team certainly can be bad enough to make some major moves. But, I mean, think about the karma. Think about the slep rock. Think about the cloud over the top of this organization. Think about that for a moment. It's just right there. How far can you get up? What's interesting about the Colts, too, is you know that the owner wants them to win, and he wants Jeff Saturday to perform well. But at the same time, the better path is for them not to win and not perform well and to get as close to the top in one of those quarterbacks as you can. Somebody brought this up yesterday. And maybe this turns out to be right. I just haven't heard that it's going to turn out to be right. Do you think all of this coaching opportunity for Jeff Saturday is just simply a bunch of BS, and he is there to report back to Jim Irsay about the fabric, the inner workings of this team to the owner? And why could you not have somebody else do that? Why would you have to go through all this to do that is my question. I think I subscribe to that theory. That's your theory? I think so, yeah. Why would you have to do that? Why? I, I think because so. You don't Saturday, trust your general manager, then you got to get rid of your general manager because you don't trust the underlings with the general manager. You don't trust people within your organization. Well, we'll have to see what happens to Ballard at the end of the year. But I think he trusts Saturday one thousand percent, and uh, I don't think anyone other any other interim coach he would totally trust to give him the real on both the GM, Ballard, and the team. So you're thinking right now that Jeff Saturday is more in a consulting role he than was he is. Consultant. I, yeah. I know. I know more of a consulting role than he is actually being considered as a future head coach. I, I don't think Saturday wants to be an NFL head coach. Then why are you a head coach right now? I, what, I mean, this if that's true... How far do you got to go to figure this out? Is it that hard? I mean, how messed up are you where you got to go this far to figure it out? And I know back in the day they paid like 75 k to bring in a consulting firm to find out what was haywire within the organization. 
So you bring in your own operative and you cut him loose in the locker room <laughs> and you're going to squeal on is that? That. That's what you do? I don't know. I think about it this way. To me, there's nothing savvy about that. To me, that just outlines, if that's true, that would just outline how foobard this mess is even more so than the foobar you think it is right now. You know what I think about consultants too, right? First thing they're going to say is like organic. And I'm going <laughs> to, this, this, this dumbass has no idea what they're talking about. That's how you know if they bring up that word, if they say that word or narrative, then just go ahead and check yourself out of the conversation because it's not worthy. They're trying to be too smart and they're trying to tell you something that they believe that they know that they don't actually know. So just check yourself out of the conversation. If somebody says organic or narrative, then bail and you're done. Yeah, like I was with the luck stuff this morning. I was kind of bailed and done. I'm done. I was done. I've moved on. I think everybody knows the results. For the first couple of years, All right, the first couple of years, FUBAR, no doubt about it. But since that point in time, the FUBAR has been maintained by those working within the organization. That FUBAR is on them. And like a lot of you, I'm over it too. A shout out to Seth Wickersham for the fantastic reporting and an incredible scoop. But at least for me and this show, and hopefully for a lot of you, I think we have moved on long ago. All right, quick break, and we'll come back. Rakestraw is going to join us at the bottom of the hour. Ben Brown of PFF in the 4 o'clock hour. We will track down some of those thoughts. Will the sequel be better than the original? Charles Arbuckle of Sirius XM College Football Radio. He's going to check in coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Do I have Yacht Rock Review tickets to give away this week, too? Uh-oh. They're going to compete with me New Year's Eve party-wise. So I come back with the JMV Takeover on New Year's Eve. The Yacht Rock Review guys are going to be playing a New Year's Eve party over at the Amira Old National Center. Got a couple of tickets to give away. We'll figure that out coming up a little bit later on in the show. 239-1070 is the number. If you want to dial it up, you can. Inside the Lounge via YouTube Live. I'll check in with you folks coming up in a minute. The stream, the app, HD Radio, and 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. It's called Sex Panther by Odeon. It's illegal in nine countries. It's quite pungent. It stings the nostrils. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Ben Brown, PFF. Arbuckle's going to be here in the 5 o'clock hour. Skivvy says, how about John Robinson for general manager here? I think if that would have happened if, uh, what's her name, Amy Adams Strunk. Is she related to Jim Strunk, who was a power forward back in the day for the Owen Valley Patriots? Amy Adams Strunk felt the need to fire general manager John Robinson of the Titans earlier today. Now, I will tell you this, Skivvies, if it were switched around, if that were Vrabel getting the gate and not Robinson, the, the interest would be peaking around here. I don't know if there's any peak interest going on with John Robinson. 
and you don't really know that you just sit around and you raise an eyebrow to there's got to be something else going on with that. Can that all be trading A.J. Brown and having A.J. Brown shove it right up your rear end last weekend? Is it all about that? Because you're in this awful division on cruise control once again. You basically could just go ahead and sit your guys out the rest of the season and still win the division, still host a home playoff game. It seems to me it would have to be a lot more have to be a lot more than A.J. Brown shoving it up the rear end and your O.C. getting crap hammered on the team plane and then getting pinched and more than that. Thank you, Skivvies. We'll dive back into that in a second. Larry writes this. Thanks for leading with the Pacers. I may be in the minority here, but I could use a break from the Colts crap. Let's take that bye week into consideration and talk them up. Thank you, Larry. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline right now. His name is Greg Rakestraw, who joins us. So, should they just go ahead and make a league out of the transfer portal? (laughs) College free agency, huh? Yeah. The transfer portal all-stars would be the best team on the planet, probably. Um, Don't think that's going to happen, but maybe they can file that under consideration for the next wave of television money. And let's face it, normally, I really, I get a bit of a sports arousal out of free agency. Why don't I get a similar sports arousal out of college free agency? Probably because it changes the system as to how we're used to it. Um, and, and while there are, I don't fault the kids for taking advantage of the opportunity, you know, I, I, I feel bad for, for certain schools. And let me give you an example. And this is not to bag on Carson Steele in any way, shape, form, or fashion, because do I think he can play at a higher level? I do. But I feel bad for Ball State. You know, that Ball State, you know, based its entire offense around Carson this past year, and now you're back to square one uh, with that. Uh, but took an IC Carson up at an IU or, or someplace else, playing one year and then going on the National Football League, yes. And given how coaches are able to move, players should be able to have that same luxury. So logically, I can get there, but do I feel good about it? Not really. I, I, I feel bad for Ball State's half of it. I think it's going to be indicative of how uh, mid-majors and lower are going to be treated in this equation going forward. Yeah, no question about that. Man, I guess that is the reason why. I don't like that form of free agency as much as I do in the professional ranks. So you think that the the sequel of Jeff Brom and Louisville is going to go much better for Jeff Brom and Louisville than the original did? You've got to think so. And I mean, my thought on this whole process has been that if Jeff doesn't take it now, it's not getting offered. You know, you can always go someplace else from Louisville if for some reason going back as the head coach isn't going to work out. And I was filling in for Schultz yesterday on Query and Schultz, and yep. my knowledge of, of, of Louisville sports having grown up down there I, th- I think plays into it here. Uh, but Jeff's years at UofL were my years in high school. So, I mean, I literally remember growing up and hearing about his exploits at Trinity High School and can tell you – chapter and verse on the family dad played there both brothers played there i mean this is the manning family of louisville that we are talking about you know where older brother was a receiver younger brother was a quarterback both the two younger brothers at least had chances to play in the national football league and play professionally again he is royalty in that town and so if he doesn't go back now there will not be another chance to go back and be the head coach of the University of Louisville. It's, it's, and, and again, if he walks out now too, you know he's going, he's he's leaving on a high note. Uh, you know, taking Purdue to the Big Ten championship game. So I just, I just think the timing is right you know, on on both fronts that he's going to take that job. Ceiling wise, 
Compare the two gigs moving forward, Purdue and Louisville. Which one, just outside of it being home for the Brom family, which one has a higher ceiling? Which one would be, you think, the better gig as we move further and further into the world of NIL, transfer portals, and teams uh, coming into your particular league now? I, I, think, I think the opportunities at UofL are bigger for a couple, three different reasons. All right, first of all, they are the big game in town. And, and Purdue, while having Big Ten money and having a well-funded endowment uh, in terms of alums, et cetera, you know, Purdue has to compete with Indiana, has to compete with the professional sports teams. UL is competing with the University of Kentucky. It's the only thing they are competing with down there. Two, yes, you've got Clemson, but you don't have the impediments in front of you in that league that Purdue does. You know, where we all knew, hey, listen, Purdue's not as good as Michigan. Purdue had the benefit of geography, and we all expect that is going to change. And now you're adding a program like USC into that mix as well, where in the ACC you've got Clemson, and that's it. And even Clemson has kind of come down from where they have been for the better part of the last decade. So, you know, the television money is better at Purdue. I think the lack of competition and in terms of, of – other teams in the league and the lack of competition in terms of for the entertainment dollar and the sponsorship dollar are better at U of L and you combine that with going home. I, th- I think that's where he ends up. So Greg Raystraw on the Andy Moore on the mother group hotline. I want to revert back to talking about the transfer portal. Seems like half of the IU football teams in it. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's not a good sign, but at the same time, you know, those same guys were the ones that combined for six wins the last two years. Yeah. And so it, it gives time out a chance to go out and get new players and, and, and do something better. And so it's not a good look now, but again, depending on whom they are able to go get, maybe they're a better team because of it. And again, I, I think at the back end of conferences and at schools outside of the power five or in basketball, I throw the big East in there too for the power six, this is what it's going to look like now. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I'm kind of changing my thought on it in terms of, you know, how you would recruit because, because they do so much at the high school level. We hear how high school recruiting has changed because of you're not as recruiting as many high school kids. You're recruiting kids who are going to be college transfers. In, in football, I'm not so sure I'd recruit any differently. In other words, go out and get 20 or 25 kids every year, and then if you have 25 kids you're going to replace on your current roster – well, you'll replace those 20 or 25 with guys from somebody else's roster. Uh, and, so, and so college basketball, because you're recruiting three or four kids in a year, yeah, that changes. Football, I think you're recruiting the same way. And you may literally see 40 to 50 new players on a roster between incoming freshmen and transfers now on a yearly basis. And, again, I, I understand it. I still don't think it's a good thing for college sports. Well, mid-major teams in either football or basketball be able to hold up any traction of consistent winning like could have been the case, probably was the case for a couple, maybe a handful in years prior to the transfer portal? Consistent winning, I'm not sure. Do we see more mid-majors have an opportunity to have breakthrough years to get the right combination of kids? Yes. And let's face it, you know, you talked to Josh Schertz last week. They've got most of their kids on that team have played elsewhere. Josh certainly has a recruiting theme. He's kind of going after the Division II All-Stars. And, and getting kids from other schools, but that's the niche that he's taken. And so far, it's so good. Now, they haven't played a, a Power 5 team, and frankly, they're not going to in their schedule, but they can still be the Missouri Valley Conference champions and, and make a run. 
look at what St. Peter's did last year because they had experienced players. But I know at least one of those kids, the Eddard kid, is now at Bryant. I mean, he, he left. He didn't go to some place that was bigger. He went to some place that was smaller. Um, and so what I think you'll have is more opportunities for teams to have one great year. Now can you keep those kids together? That's going to be the problem. It's Greg Graystraw is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I use problem on Saturday afternoon at Rutgers. Is that more just Rutgers having their number or more of a lingering issue that Mike Woodson and company will certainly have to deal with more than what we saw on Saturday? I think it's a combination of two. First of all, Rutgers is a good program. Uh, we want to make fun of Rutgers and given the opportunity, but Steve Peichel's done a heck of a job there. Two, that's a tough place to play because there's now nothing else like it in the Big Ten. You know, Penn State gave up their home court advantage. Northwestern, um, while modernizing their arena, kind of gave up a little bit of their home court advantage too. You know, Rutgers is playing in the barn. Rutgers is playing in the gymnasium. It's not an easy place to play. Did that expose some of the issues that Indiana has if they have an off-night shooting? Yes, it does. Because, let's face it, Indiana gave up, what, 63 points? Most nights, that is a fantastic defensive effort. Um, but offensively, they were so bad that it didn't matter. So could that issue flare up again? Yes. Do I still think Indiana's a, a pretty good basketball team? Yes, I do. I just think they largely had an off night. Weakness for Purdue, because everybody's in love with them right now and for a good reason. But if you're going to look at a, a part of this team, a position on this team where you still need to see more this early in the season, Greg, point to it. I'm not sure if there's something I want to see more of. One of them would be experience. You know, at some point in time, guys like Smith and Lawyer, for as, as, as pro those kids as I am, they're going to hit a freshman wall at some point during the middle of, of Big Ten play. Um, so, so that immediately comes to mind. And then having that guy that can go get you a bucket when you have to have it. Jaden Ivey was that guy last year. The guy they have closest to it is Brandon Newman, but he hasn't proven it yet the way that Jaden Ivey did over the course of, of a couple of years. Yeah, Zach Eady can get you a bucket. Always worried about him sitting on the sidelines. Always worried about the post being that guy that's going to get you a bucket as well. So, again, the inexperience of their guards, and despite how much I, I, I love those two kids and they think they're great, they're still freshmen. That will show at some point in time. And, again, can Newman be like Jaden Ivey late in games? That's the other thing that, that you will have to need at some juncture of this season. All right, Greg, a couple of final things regarding the World Cup. How did the USA look to you? overall and that was at the beginning against wales all the way to the end on saturday when they were knocked out by netherlands about what i expected you know I mean, netherlands is is a good team i thought that game would be a little more competitive frankly it was more competitive than the score uh in terms of possession and and things like that um but i thought overall in this world cup the u.s did what they needed to do they get out of the group stage now the expectations skyrocket for four years from now there is the bounce of getting to play at home there is the bounce of as many as 10 of the same starters you just saw being back on the team four years from now. That doesn't happen. That's how young this group is, with the exception of Tim Ream. Tim Ream will not be coming back. He's 35. It was a great story that he got to play, but he's probably a pro for another year or two, let alone playing at a, at a world-class international level. But virtually everybody else, you never know how form changes or the next big thing coming up, but the roster in 26 is going to look a lot like the one in 22, and there are very few countries that have that luxury. 
So for those that say, hey, we've gotten to a level and plateaued, 2026 has always been the big story. And so now it is about how does this group get to the quarterfinals? How does this group get to the semifinals? Dare to dream, could we win the whole stinking thing in 26? I don't think it's that far-fetched. I'm not sure if we'll ever be a country that you say every four years we've had a chance to win it. But because of the way all the circumstances line up, I think we've got an outside chance of doing it in four years. And the fact that they don't have to worry about qualifying, we know that we're in. Now is, is where you, you know, strategically start to think about, okay, that means more matches against the top team from Europe. You don't have to worry about playing the teams in CONCACAF. Most of our players are based in Europe anyway. Let's see if the U.S. Soccer Federation thinks more about the overall goal and less about the almighty dollar. And by that, it means playing a lot of friendlies in Europe, keeping those guys over there, and being ready for the top European teams when that competition rolls around three and a half years from now. Greg, final thing. Cristiano Ronaldo was benched by his coach today, and his Portuguese team has scored five goals on their way and walking all over the Swiss right now. What's going on with one of the most well-known, one of the fantastic players in the world, soccer being benched in the fashion that he was today? That's a good question. And honestly, I have not followed their match today, so you're breaking some soccer news to me. That's so. the first time that's ever been said. And probably the last time that it will happen as well. <laughs> yes, so, it will be. Uh, that's, uh, you know, Cristiano has always been the best or second best player in the world, while his team has frankly not been much different than, say, Team USA, as evidenced by the U.S.'s results against Portugal when they have played during his 20-year run of being on the team. So I would say that's the biggest win for the Portuguese, if not ever, close to it, the fact they can they can score five without one of the greatest two players to ever play the game playing. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, the guy replaced him has a hat trick. <laughs> His name is Ramos. So I, I guess Ronaldo is he's kind of getting, um, kind of getting Tom Brady a little bit here. I guess he's getting, he's getting Wally pipped. Lou yeah. Gehrig just came in to replace him. We'll never hear from him again. <laughs> yeah, Drew Bledsoe. Ronaldo better, right better, there. You better take that $200 million from Saudi Arabia then. That might be the last payday for him. Buddy, I appreciate that. You have a great week. And uh, next week we'll concentrate a little bit more on the high school basketball that's going on in the area. It sounds good. I'm going to have Ben Davis in Cathedral and Zionsville ah, and Penn me, oh, coming up on, on Saturday yes. night down at Southport Forum Tip-Off Classic at Elsie and Ellen tomorrow night. So I will hey. have plenty of high school hoopage to report back to you on when we do this again in seven days. You got two, Ben Davis and, and Cathedral have two big dudes going at one another, right? Correct. So Zane Dowdy's going to play at Valparaiso. I mean, he's an Indiana all-star. He's, yeah. he's not an NBA prospect, you know, the way that Xavier Booker is. And and I saw Xavier Saturday night did not play great. The story on Saturday night for Cathedral was the fact that Jerron Tibbs, who as of now is not playing college basketball, is going to play football at Purdue. He had 33, and he absolutely carried them because it is rare that Xavier Booker and Jake Davis is going to play at Mercer next year. Have both have bad nights simultaneously, and they did. Those two guys combined for seven points. Yet Cathedral found a way to one of the, beat one of the best teams in Ohio, featuring Gabe Cups, who's going to play at IU next year. Irish still won that game by six. So Cathedral and Ben Davis are thought by most to be one and two in the state, and they will see each other on Saturday night, a game that I'll have for you on ISC and my TV. But I would love to see you in person at Southport Fieldhouse and pack that place for what could be a, I believe, semi-state game this year and not a regional game this year. Tell everybody to dunk as much as possible because they have new rims and goals at Southport Fieldhouse, and the rims are as tight as hell. They used to have some of the best, I mean, shooter-efficient rims going, and now they're tight as hell. So it needs loosened up. 
And I mean, loosen so it up big time. Put GoPros on both baskets to encourage kids to dunk more and loosen them up. For yeah, you please, you please do. We got to loosen those up. They're way, way too. I know, if I'm, uh, what's his name, Brand at Southport? I'm, uh, I'm trying to loosen those things up too, man. Because it's not like what it used to be there right now. We, uh, we last year we put a GoPro on what would be the south end basket, and Miles Colvin, because Heritage Christian played that event last year, they're not playing it this year. Miles Colvin literally dunked on that, and I, I believe saw the GoPro and smiled as he <laughs> threw it down. Maybe the coolest footage you ever had on the ISC Sports Network. So I will let teams know yes. to look for the GoPro and throw it down on both ends come Saturday. And I'll judge that coming up on Sunday morning when I go in there and play, too. So after what happens on Saturday, I'll come in Sunday morning and judge just how loose these guys get those rims because they need it. So this is what you do when you don't have the Saturday night takeover. You have a JMV Sunday morning takeover. Uh, I go anyway, even after the JMV takeover. I go if I'm. I go on two and a half hours of sleep. Yeah, you are absolutely crazy. I'm, I'm a manimal. I'm a manimal, Greg. You know it. All right, brother. I appreciate you. That's my JMV yelling in a gymnasium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then some other things too. So. <laughs> See you, buddy. See you. It's Greg Rakeser on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Yeah, Ben Davis and Cathedral, that'll be good. So check that out. Go to a high school game. A lot of good high school basketball talent is always around here. I actually went down, when did I go Saturday? See, Eastern and Mitchell. <laughs> I did. Because uh, Blake likes to go down there. We took Blake and Lady down there. But I like to go around, see some of these area teams. I got to go see CG once, maybe go down and see what the uh, Wolf family's doing down in Martinsville. Uh, oh, yeah, my man, uh, Jamin, who's a uh, first-year head coach at Ron Colley. I got to check them out. But there's no doubt uh, Cathedral and Ben Davis will be a humdinger coming up this weekend. ISC Network, or you can just go to Southport Fieldhouse and judge for yourself how stinking tight those rims are compared to the past. Quick break, and we'll come back. Ben Brown to PFF Top of the Hour. Charles Arbuckle on the possible move of Jeff Brom from Purdue to Louisville and more about the college football playoff, the transfer portal, and more with Charles coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Are you kidding? You think I'd join this crummy snobatorium? But this whole place sucks. That's right, it sucks. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Charles Arbuckle. Serious XM college football coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Got the Jeff Brom story. I don't know if it's a story yet. It's just like a rumor. I guess it's a possibility considering... All that surrounds it. So we'll talk to Charles about that. We'll talk to Charles about the college football playoffs, the transfer portal, and all that in a minute. Greg reminds me of this. Don't forget the all-time consultant comment when they have a meeting that does not accomplish one thing. You can, quote, circle back and talk about things at the next one. Yeah. So Jeff Saturday is a consultant. He's Clarence Beeks. Or does Jim Irsay really want him or expect him to succeed to be the coach? You're going to go through all this just to see what's going on 
right under your nose. I mean, all this. Does it make sense? Come back to you guys in just a second. Andrew Nimhart last night was outstanding. 31 in the Pacers win. That's two in the seven games, actually six games so far. Seven coming up tomorrow night in Minneapolis. Um, Golden State last night on the short end of that, and it was impressive. If you stayed up to watch it, it was. Uh, we're in, by the way, on, on Nimhart too. End of the week, you think? Hopefully. I have not talked to him. We can sit around and share Gonzaga stories like I was there. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the Gonzaga guys I've talked to in the past. Sabonis? Oh, hell, who else? Which, um, which Santangelo was it that was on the original Gonzaga team back in 98 where they made that Sweet 16 and then uh, Dan Monson? Dan Munson, I should say, got the gig. Remember, he was at Gonzaga and Few was the assistant. And then Munson went in there with Richie Fromm and company and made Casey Calvary made that huge splash in the NCAA tournament. It might have been 98 or 99. And he ended up getting a gig in Minnesota. Wasn't long lasting. And then Few took over for him at Gonzaga and took it even higher. Santangelo, was it? The guard, Santan- was it Matt Santangelo? The guard? I think he was a part of the radio network. You've had Dan Dickow before? Dan Dickow. Almost forgot about Dickow. How can I forget about Dickow? Darn it. Sabonis is always good to talk to because he was always bright and jovial and said three words. I mean, just, I mean, you would think when he started talking and started those three words you're thinking man this is going to be awesome and then he'd say three words <laughs> he loved his cliches <laughs> that's for sure said three words you know maybe that's how i would be if i were being interviewed by a lithuanian radio station i guess that i probably didn't want to be talking on in, in the first place like three words i mean just always bright and sunshiny and having a good time but three words uh jmv I can't read the luck article, and we're trying to stay away from that, by the way. But all the not because I'm jealous or not because I'm a hater or any of that. I just, I have, I put that in the category of class basketball and Pete Rose into the Hall of Fame, and I'm sick and tired of hearing about it and talking about it. I don't want anybody to bring up Grigson anymore. All that stuff is so far now in the rear view to me. I just simply don't care anymore. And I was assuming that, that most of you would agree, and BT does as well. He says it's like the same crap. I don't think it's all the same crap. And there is something interesting regarding the police hit message in a bottle. Or as I used to sing Delaney all the time because she called a bottle a bobble. I would go message in a bobble. And when I do that now, she hates my guts. So BT, you're right across the board. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. Let's get him on here. Uh, he is probably going to the Pacers in the Timberwolves game tomorrow because he staked out in Minneapolis. The Twin Cities for our friend Ben Brown of PFF. How are you, Ben? Hey, man, I'm doing pretty good. I, I like your thinking right there. I like, you know, T-Wolves minus four. Uh, we might have to bet some, like, steak dinner on that. Oh, maybe. <laughs> Just. I don't know who's going to be playing for the Pacers because nobody played last night and they still beat Golden State. Right. Right. So you, do you go to Timberwolves games? Do you go to the target? Is this still the target center? 
It is still the Target Center. I do go a couple times a year. I enjoy um, I enjoy going to basketball games. My my son actually plays hockey, of course, um, so we enjoy going to wild games as well. But I I very much frequent you know the the Minnesota sports teams as as much as I can. Now, do you also frequent Target? Because I've got some bad news. Target used to be a go to place for me. I mean, going all the way back, even before it was Target, it was called Airway around here. And it was a go-to place for me. I could walk in the door and you could smell the popcorn and you knew exactly where you were. And now I can't stand going in there. They've had this, they've, they've redone everything and they've moved a lot of stuff around. And I think the whole place sucks now. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I, I think for the same reasons, I very much avoid shopping in person. <laughs> I, I don't like Menards, Walmart, Target. Like I can never find my list of five five things in any of those stores I, I literally walk around the store like four different times so i'm very much like an online shopper or i do you know make make my better half kind of uh you know solve those problems because it's just not uh my cup of tea whatsoever by the way baker mayfield cut loose i believe yesterday by the panthers has been claimed off of waivers by the rams so Baker Mayfield off of waivers by the Rams. All right, let's start here with Sunday night, which was dreadful. Do we even want to, if you follow the Colts around here, do you even want to hear some of these numbers? Or do they look relatively decent basically up until the fourth quarter? How did they read from Sunday night in your estimation, Ben? They weren't, you know, I would say overly bad. I do think, you know, from a run run defense perspective um they made enough plays probably early on but definitely broke down in the fourth quarter you know from a pass rush perspective they did have the one kitty pay you know sack but outside of that it was you know abysmal from that angle so those two facets i think was really disappointing they did have you know kind of like you said they had they had the lead at least at one point in the first quarter uh but couldn't get enough stops defensively and if you're only going to score 19 points like uh it's going to be really tough to beat a high-quality team like the Dallas Well, Cowboys. And if you're going to gag up 33 in the fourth quarter, too, you probably ought to score more than 19 yeah, as well. That's, uh, yeah. that's, the, that's the difficult part for sure, right? And some of it was, you know, the, the, the turnover situation, three interceptions from, you know, Matt Ryan. Absolutely can't. You can't win football games against better teams with that sort of turnover differential. But it was, uh, you know, uh, probably not as bad as the final score indicates. There are, of course, some bright spots that we can touch on, but okay. You know, uh, where, where do you want to start? You want to start with the negatives or the bright spots here? What do you think? You tell me. I, I'll start with the bright spots. Okay, start with the bright sure. spots. Go ahead. I, I mean, it wasn't Isaiah Rogers' breast game, and I did bring him up last week, but he is PFF's highest graded cornerback now through uh, 13 weeks, and they also have Stefan Gilmore. He's a top 10 coverage graded quarterback as well. So I do think defensively, and we didn't necessarily see that play out on Sunday, but defensively, like the framework is there for them to be, you know, I would say quite stout for, you know, a, a couple extended years out right now. So that's where we, we're starting right there with the positivity. The positivity. Coverage play, which does matter, I would say. Yeah. Just, you know, the, the rest of it is. Uh, in dire straits. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's get to the rest of it here. And one of my points has been that I think that this team has regressed in a fashion to where if they thought that they were relatively close, for example, Ben, going into this season, that they are no longer that. How would, and again, how would the numbers compute, to my opinion, that they are not close and certainly not as close as the Colts brass thought and the owner thought going into the season. Right. And, 
And I think it's very much evident that they kind of thought that, right? I think when you see the retreat veteran quarterback sure. kind of try and plug and play, that like that is the signal from ownership and the GM on down that you were very close to, um, you know, being contenders in, the, in a very stacked AFC, and they have not been there. And I think, you know, kind of what you've touched on previously, it's it's still the offensive line. It's still guys like Quentin Nelson who are playing, you know, in some ways at a slightly below league average rate from both a pass blocking and run blocking perspective. But when you're paying a guy that much money, like the, the, that, that's just not enough at that particular position in order to be, you know, a, a really good football team. Where does he rank as far line. as guards are concerned in the NFL yeah. right now? Quentin Nelson. Yeah, I, I can pull that up. And you, do you want pass protection? Do you want run? I want, I want, I want everything, ball? everything that you would consider paying him a lot of money to do. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very easy here, Ben. Okay. Very easy. Um, so we have, we have the old Quentin Nelson at, and this is both left guard and right guard play. He is 21st um, uh, among guards. And what we would say is kind of like a composite offensive grade of both pass blocking uh, and, and run blocking. So that's not very good. 21st. Not very good. No, considering basically, yeah, yeah, roughly like 50 players or whatever. I mean, there is, you know, 42 starting or sorry, 64. I can't even do math right now. I'm on so much tilt. 64 starting guards in the NFL. Um, you know, he's he's a, he's he's you know going back to it. He's in that maybe the upper quartile. Uh, I think is a term we like to throw around on this. Yes, we do. Uh, radio broadcast once in a while. Um, he's he's in the upper you know 25th percentile quartile of it, but he's still in the bottom range of that and, and being paid like he's the best at the position, right? Yeah. You got to be uh, even more upper in the upper quartile is what you're saying here to justify right. it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. But I mean, I, you know what they're getting from like a guy like Bernard Raymond now, I think especially over the last couple of weeks has been, uh, you know, I would say uh, relatively positive. Yeah, You're reading my mind. Tell me all about his numbers the past two weeks on a Monday nighter and a Sunday nighter for the rookie from central Michigan. What do you got? Yeah, he's been, I mean, he's been, I would say, kind of right there. I think um, I don't have his rank from those specific games in a range, but he was, I want to say, their best um, their p- best pass blocking grade over the last three weeks from a Colts perspective. Um, and, and has, I would say, isn't, you know, ranking as like a top five player at the position, but has been, um, you, you, uh, you know, very much, I would say, um, there i guess right so all right so he's playing better the past two weeks Uh, i'm gonna let you look up the center and ryan kelly really quick because you know obviously this has not been a a good season for him really for the entirety of the offensive line and we're kind of picking and choosing what you're able to talk about that are positives right here how has ryan kelly been playing so far this year and i guess in, in recent these past couple of weeks uh, as a center for the Colts along that offensive line. Yeah, so I think he's kind of coming off basically a, a pretty low performance. I would say it's his fourth worst overall offensive grade of the season. Had kind of started putting it together a little bit, um, you know, specifically against the Raiders, had an above average overall grade, uh, but now basically kind of finishing it with like 53.7. So definitely I would say, you know, bottom bottom third tier uh, from the center position, which, you know, again, when you, when you kind of piece all these players together, if you're getting a lot of, you know, 
bottom half, bottom third, bottom quartile play from every single position on the, along the offensive line, you, you very much arrive at, you, you know, an overall ranking in, you, you know, the 30s basically from a team perspective. So it's been, uh, you know, a little bit of a struggle. I think he is, you know, among centers, 27th in overall offensive grade uh, throughout the entire season. I think if you're looking just at like the past three weeks, um, bumps up um, a, a little bit, but, uh, you know, it, it's still kind of a long, um, you know, similar timing or a similar band of being, you know, like the, the, the 27th to the 30th, basically uh, best center uh, in both pass blocking and run blocking it, it, uh, as far as like across the NFL. All right, look up Jonathan Taylor's numbers right now at this point of the season. And as you do that, I'll remind everybody, Ben Brown, a pro football focus with us. He's the uh, data and betting scientist slash analyst. Each and every Tuesday in the 4 o'clock hour runs the analytic numbers on how this Colts team is doing. Well, not so much. Bad. Often we hear those particular numbers. This season to date for a guy that just had an incredible year this past year. Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, so we have him, and again, this is among you know, uh, you know, uh, halfbacks basically with like a hundred plus attempts at this point in the season. We have Jonathan Taylor, thirty uh, uh, second basically um, from a, from a, from a rushing perspective, and has been you know I would say adequate. I think you know his yards per carry uh, probably bumps him up you know closer to you know like the twenty fifth overall or something like that. But I think you know going back to it. There is probably some difficulties in, you know, separating out the performance between, you know, how impactful a running back is versus, you know, in comparison to how impactful that offensive line is in those running situations. So we have Jonathan Taylor, basically, so I had a a slightly different filter on. We have Jonathan Taylor, 29th best, you know, rushing grade so far this season among, you know, starting caliber uh, running backs that have at least 100 attempts so far. Mm -hmm. Where was he a year ago? Was he number one on your list? He was number one. He was number one or number two. Yeah, I can yeah. Uh, I can look that up here relatively quick. No, that's okay. Was, that's good know. enough right there. Number one or number two, I think. And then you see the uh, the downward slide this season tells us basically all we need to know regarding that. Matt Ryan's numbers as a whole this season, because we're discussing around here, Ben, whether or not that coming out of the bye week, he should be the starter. I've suggested, you know, what the hell might as well. Nick Foles, some have said bring back Ellinger, whatever, but it kind of seems like, you know, they're probably going to lose anyway. doesn't really matter. But just for the sake of it right now, where are his numbers as a quarterback ranking this season in the NFL? Yes, we have him 30th of 32 starting quarterbacks right now. You know, the two the two guys above him, Marcus Mariota, who, you know, at least brings some semblance of, you know, production to his legs. And then, uh, you know, Jared Goff. So I think, you know, kind of the quarterbacks in his range below him, you know, guys like Mac Jones, uh, Justin Fields as well. But this is, you know, passing specific grade. It is right. an overall, you know, offensive grade. So the, the fact that a lot of the quarterbacks around him from a passing perspective also bring you know, very much the ability to generate offense with their legs as well. Uh, it's just probably another indictment on, you know, Matt Ryan overall. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a terrible season, no doubt about that. And I'm, I'm certain that the Bears, regardless of the ranking from you guys right now, probably feel much better about their future quarterback situation than anybody around here might about what's going down here in Indy. Right. And very much so. So I think, yeah, if we're looking at it, if you want to fold in, you know, running grade or whatever, and this would kind of include some of, you know, the pressure type situations as well. Matt Ryan's, 
34th overall. Uh, we do have like, you know, Carson Wentz kind of folded into that equation. Davis Mills, those sorts of people that aren't starting any longer, but, you know, has very much probably not even provided, you know, starting caliber type play at the quarterback position through, you know, the first 13 weeks of the season. Uh, ben Brown with the bad news regarding the Colts, as we've received basically each and every Tuesday via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So it's a bye week. We'll dive into this, I'm certain, more coming up next Tuesday. But next up on that schedule is a Saturday afternoon affair um, up in Minneapolis, where you are right now against the Minnesota Vikings. Their numbers offensively and defensively as we hit this bye week, at least for the Colts. How are the Vikings looking on either side of the football analytics wise? Yeah, I mean, I think very much, you know, people want to label what they've done and what they have been as very much league average, right? Now, that's not necessarily where their record falls, but uh, given some of the flukiness in which they've won one score games and, and the way in which they've even arrived there, like a, a lot of power rankings metrics have them, you know, much lower than what their win-loss record would indicate. Now, I think, you know, specifically this weekend, uh, you know, they're two-and-a-half-point underdogs to a Detroit Lions team that everyone would kind of assume they are better than. So we'll see if they can actually show out there a little bit. But uh, this is kind of the stretch for the Vikings, I would say, where they actually kind of need some convincing quality offensive performances uh, in, in order to, you know, at least be considered challengers in the NFC when it's all said and done. Yeah. So have you lost any of your uh, thought that they, they could be a team that would win a couple, at least one I... in the postseason? I think they can definitely win a football. I think they can definitely win a playoff football game. I also think that the way in which people are measuring their luck is probably in some ways off or a little bit off basis. Like I think, you know, going back to it, um, you know, there was like the, the game on Thanksgiving against the New England Patriots and everyone points to not only, you know, the, the, the non catch catch that Hunter Henry had, but also the return touchdown that, you know, the Vikings were fortunate to score. And, and if you remove those sorts of plays, obviously the, 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 the outcome is different, but you know, what people fail to mention is, you know, the Patriots had a very good kick return in that particular matchup as well, and did end up scoring a touchdown on that particular drive. So if that is, you know, also an indication of luck, at least in getting that quality quick re- kick return, like why are the Patriots not knocked in a similar manner? So I do think some of the you know more advanced luck-based elements to try and remove some of those things are, you know, maybe understating the value or, or, or the way in which the Vikings have kind of arrived at winning their football game. So I think they're probably better than what, you know, the betting market and power rankings and everything have them right now. But uh, I also think we're probably going to find out just how good they can be over, you know, the remaining regular season schedule. How's everybody feeling about Kevin O'Connell in Minneapolis? I like him. I, I, I think very much if you, then that's the thing with the Vikings. If you look at the, you know, overall, like their roster and, and who they drafted and who they brought in as far as free agents, like none of, none of those guys are producing. The rookies are kind of all banged up. So it really has been the one change is Kevin O'Connell. And I think in the way in which you're seeing them win football games, the, the only real person who probably deserves or, or, or can maybe make a claim for helping them in that case is Kevin O'Connell. So I think, you know, that speaks to at least his ability to kind of come in day one, year one, and in some ways exceed expectations. So I think he should, you know, at least be uh, uh, maybe in the discussion for a coach of the year candidate. 
uh, when it's all said and done. It's uh, Ben Brown right there, of course, after the bye week, the Colts and that Saturday afternoon 1 o'clock affair up in Minneapolis against the Minnesota Vikings. That's his home base, Ben Brown of PFF every Tuesday right here via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Before I let you go, any numbers I didn't ask you about? Anything that intrigued you, piqued your interest, or surprised you where we are right now, either in the season or just coming off of the Week 13 in general? I mean, I didn't realize we had, you know, so many, uh, you know, cross-city rivalry matchups coming up here. So I'm excited about that, for one. I know I mentioned Isaiah Rogers. I might, he's the one lone bright spot I can continue to find, but I do think it is, you know, speaks to the fact that he is, you know, from from a coverage grade perspective, when you when you don't when you don't include or when you don't exclude penalties, because right. you know a lot of these guys get knocked for defensive pass interference. So if you kind of you know eliminate those sorts of things, they may be great better than him. But he is clearly, I would say, you know, in a lot of ways, sitting among the very best of coverage cornerbacks, and you know, guys like Sauce Gardner and you, you know the, all the sorts. And I think that you know tapping into that a little bit more, you know, it has to be in some ways the foundation for. It. Uh, kind of getting out of this mess that the Colts have found themselves in. It's uh, Ben Brown every single Tuesday. My friend, I appreciate that. And we'll probably dive in a little bit more to those numbers regarding the Vikings and Kevin O'Connell on the season they're having. Well, it's more appropriate for the lead-up actually coming up next week. You may even have somebody in for me because I may have a day off next week. So you may have to talk what? to somebody. Yeah, you believe that? What a big wuss I am. i got to take a day off. Yeah. Unbelievable. By week I mean, day off. Unless Kyle wants to wait. Wait until I get back. So, I got I got baseboards to paint for a half an hour. I got to paint some baseboards. All right, I've got to find time to paint some baseboards. Honey do list, honey do list. I got a I got a long one of those coming here this often. I don't get called honey too often. I get hey crank, get over there and do this. That's what I get. (laughs) Crank, do this. All right, my friend. Either way, I'm sure we will talk again very soon. Okay. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. I like Ben Brown a great deal. PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. That's pretty funny. Got to paint the baseboards. You got to stir the paint first, though, right? I didn't get it. Do you still shake it up when you buy it? Paint? I just bought it off the shelf and grabbed oh, it and took it You got to have them shake it for you. Shake it like a Polaroid picture. Do like this? Can I not shake it myself? I got to put it in one of those shaking not machines. Yep. Who invented the shaking machine? That's a hell of a plan right there. I should have been on some of these inventions. You know, you know that early, the early stages of bottled water, I was there, and my, my friends and I. I remember my friend. What was the uh, the um, before? Basically, bottled water was bottled water. There was one bottled water that you would find. It was uh, Evian. Is that what it's called? Evian. That's a brand, yeah. Yeah, Evian. It was like the only one I ever saw that used to be on a shelf at a convenience store. And you remember back in the day, um, Speedway convenience stores, they were called Starvin' Marvins. So we'd go to that, yeah, true. We'd go to that convenience store. And one of my friends, we're a bunch of rednecks, right? Hillbillies, and we're all hanging out. And, you know, I'm getting, uh, I don't know, Dr. Pepper or Big Red or whatever we drink down in southern Indiana, and one of my friends grabs an Evian. I go, what are you doing? And um, he said, we we need to do this one of these days. we got to bottle this water because one of these days people are going to want to drink water from bottles, and they'll buy it. And I said at that moment, I go, nobody is ever. And I mean ever. You can get water from a hose, water from a faucet. Water is free. 
You can find free water. Nobody's ever, and I mean ever, going to buy a bottle on the reg of water. That was my response to starting our own water business. right? And nobody's ever going to buy this. Whiff. I was right there. Can you imagine Green County bottled water? Who wouldn't buy that? Did you buy Green County bottled water? Well, I think all water probably can't, comes from the same tap, so yeah. <laughs> I was right there. We're going to start a business. This was like 1988. I said, nobody's ever going to buy bottled water. That was pretty accurate right there, too. Nobody's ever going to buy bottled water. That was an exact quote. Incredibly wrong. I ain't got time for calls. You guys want to sneak some in here at 239-1070? I think that'd be a hell of a plan. Great idea for you. Yeah, Rex Hampton sent me this. Jeff Arad feels forgotten. Quote, no one acknowledges the work that we did. Jeff Arad, this goes back to my days when I worked up on the uh, northeast side. This is my early stage as a WNDE. And Jeff Arad was coming in and doing the postgame shows at the time. And where NDE was, uh, not now, but where it was then, it had a side door and, you know, basically, you know, somebody just knocked on it until somebody else came to answer it. And no bell or no buzzer or anything like that um, after hours. So he came in. I was working in NDE and he was going down to Q95 to do a uh, postgame show. And I shook his hand, and his fingers are going 19 different directions. I mean, it just everywhere. But he was an incredibly nice dude. Incredible. But you could tell, I mean, he had been through it. And he had been through it where, you know, blowing somebody up. You know, the, the head hunting, the helmet to helmet, all that stuff was, hey, great. I watch all these Bears highlights from 85, in particular the 85 season. I don't know if Wilbur Marshall ever made a tackle that would not be flagged in this era. And I loved Wilbur Marshall. He was a badass. Loved him. I don't know if he ever made a tackle in the 85 season where he would not be flagged for a personal foul and then thrown out of the game. Not different. But no, Rex, you're right. That is, by the way, an athletic story from Zach Kiefer regarding Jeff Rod. And I have nothing at all against Andrew Luck whatsoever. I've just decided long ago to move on. And I would tell you that this would be a much more worthwhile, interesting read as far as former Colts players than the other. And Seth Wickersham does a great job. Great job. But this would be more important. This one would. Quick break and we'll come back. Charles Arbuckle, top of the hour. I got you guys locked and loaded coming up on the other side at 239-1070. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live, 93.5-1075. The fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. You're going to eat your fat. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 
Uh, Greg Rakestraw a little bit earlier. Ben Brown a little bit earlier. The podcast with each 107.5thefan.com. Charles Arbuckle, college football, and more coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. So somebody just called you and said what, Kyle? And this is uh, an un- uns- unsubstantiated report. <laughs> Let me make sure that I say that. But somebody called you and said what just now? Didn't want to go on the air. That uh, there has already been a team meeting and Jeff Brom is indeed leaving for Louisville. Unsubstantiated report. So if you were a betting person right now, and apparently we all are betting people, would you bet that that information that was just given, somebody called in and left you there, is accurate? Sometimes somebody's just making stuff up. Is the uh, anonymous tip from the call line, right? The anonymous tip. Tony got that when Brad Stevens left Butler. 15 minutes. 15 minutes before the news was broken. Somebody called up and told Tony Donahue that. And I was getting ready to go on vacation at the end of that show. This is basically in the 5 o'clock hour, maybe at 4.30. I said, dude, there's no way I'm going to hang my ass out here and go with this right now and then have to go through my entire vacation having people laugh at me and hit me up on Twitter. So I said, yeah, I'm not going to do it. I think that was your last vacation too, right? This was my last vacation. I think 15 minutes later, boom, there it is. I mean, somebody literally called up and said, hey, Brad Stevens is taking the head coaching job with the Boston Celtics. And that was, whoa. Like, this is not even a whoa. This is like what everybody's believing is going to occur anyway. That was a whoa. And it turned out to be true. All right, 239-1070. Kenny's up first today. Kenny, welcome to the show. How are you? How you doing, buddy? Hey, uh, I was a big-time Jeff Rod fan, or I still am, actually. He's one of my favorite Colts of all time, number sure. 54, buddy. Uh, I remember he went to uh, the Saints for a couple years, and then Peyton's rookie year, he came back. And I think he went to Philly. Team. Did he not? Didn't Harrod play in Philly, or am I wrong about that? I know Ron Solt did, but I thought Harrod went to Philly. I could be wrong. You might be right. I, I thought it was the Saints, but I I'll go a with you. story about him uh, back in the day, man. Uh, we went on a trip to Denver, and the Colts are playing a preseason game there. We were staying at the Ramada downtown, Denver. Yep. And we got in the elevator, and I look up, and there was Jeff Rod, Albert Bentley. I mean, there, there's a lot of dudes there. But I ended up getting their autograph, and I still got it on my wall to this day. But, yeah, huge Jeff Rod fan. Thank you, Kenny. I appreciate that. He he was a fantastic dude. And, and to me, yes, that story is probably more worthy of your attention than the other one today. Absolutely. To me. Yeah, he's what I call a true cult, man. He was a good one. He was. Kenny, thank you very much for the call. You know, once upon a time, I was working at the Union Jack Pub over in Speedway and Ron Stark. Remember back in the day when the Colts really stunk? And some of you guys aren't aware of this because you didn't live through it. But most of us that have been around here since that point in time know that the 80s were not kind. The earlys, or the early 90s, the 80s, whatever. The early stages of the Colts organization here, not kind whatsoever. And really, the only Pro Bowl honors that went out it was Ron Stark, the punter. And, man, Ron Stark uh, Ron Stark never passed a mirror that he did not deeply view his reflection in it. There was never a mirror. There was never a mirror in Marion County that Ron Stark did not look deeply into. Ron Stark was pretty proud of Ron Stark back in the day. I did not drop his pizza on the floor either at Union Jack Pub. 
somebody I did, uh, his was not dropped on the floor. I feel comfortable saying that now because the Union Jack Pub, unfortunately, is no longer there, which was awesome in Speedway. I know the one is still in Broad Ripple, but the one in Speedway is no longer there. Great place. DW is at 239-1070. DW, welcome to the show. What's up, Jay? How you doing? I'm good, man. Uh, I know Saturday's against it, but go ahead and tank the rest of this season so we can get a good draft pick. But uh, past that, we already know what needs to happen with Ballard. But uh, let's go ahead and say the Pacers is looking pretty good the way they beat uh, Golden State last night. You know what I mean? So how far do you think they are going to the playoffs? Um, I'm not sure that they're still going to get there, but um, I will tell you this. Last night was as enjoyable of a game that you have seen not just this year, but certainly in a while. And watching Andrew okay. Nemhart do both ends of the floor, shoot it, play against Steph Curry, check Steph Curry, and then Dang. his playmaking ability, even beyond his shot-making ability, was just fantastic. It was a joy to watch that last night. Yeah, it really was. He was facilitating. Yes. Assist. He was throwing alley-oops. Yep. Man, dude was on point. He was. And they had, listen, they had no idea how to deal with it either. None. Nah, they ain't had no clue. What else you got? Man... Let's go ahead and tank. That's the only thing I can say. Yeah, DW, thank you very much. I don't think you have to worry about them tanking because I think this team stinks enough where it's tankable. Tankable anyway. And especially the way you saw that defense in that fourth quarter in Dallas. Just kind of what the hell it up. Because you could check it out. If you wanted to go back and watch it, I wouldn't advise going back and watching it. Watching the film, I got to go watch the film. Wouldn't advise it because it's terrible. But if you did, you would see an incredible difference between the resistance given by that defense in the first half and then when everything kind of fell in on them because of the mistakes of the offense in the fourth quarter. There was a big difference. And I don't know if Jeff Saturday is either going to coach that up or report report back to the owner. <laughs> Which one's he going to do? Is he going to coach it up? <laughs> or is he going to report back to Jim Irsay? This is what happened. This is what I saw. All this is going on right here before you. I don't even know why. If you had no, and I'm not suggesting, I'm not suggesting that he didn't, he being Jim Irsay. But if you had no intention, because a lot of people believe that Jeff Saturday is just here to evaluate and then go someplace else, either within the organization or do whatever after the season. He's just here to report back to what is all wrong with his team right now. And if that would be the case, if those of you that believe that, if that is an actual thing... What in the world? That seems like a ridiculous amount to go to to find out what you should already know when you pay people handsomely within your organization that have been around and that could certainly tell the difference to tell you the same thing. I guess that's why I'm a non-believer in that. Does it make sense? All right, we're going to hire you in, and then you're going to Clarence Beaks it up here and tell everybody what's going on within the organization. Right? 
Just get a Bud Fox. Is he Bud Fox? You bring him in and that's different than Bud Fox. I just wanted to get that reference in, by the way. Shout out to Wall Street. Chris is on line three. Chris, go ahead. Hey, John. Great show. Thank you, Chris. I thank you. You open it up with the Pacers. I appreciate that. You got that. We needed to last night because for those of us that stayed up and actually watched it and just didn't read the box score, it was enjoyable as hell to watch. Yeah, Andrew Nimard is a special, special kid that literally the game looks like it comes so easy to him. And I, I believe that McConnell's minutes have to go down. They just have to. Um, but I wanted to ask you a question that's not really related to anything Indianapolis. Why wouldn't the Hoosiers or the Boilers offer everything and anything to get a guy like Deion Sanders? That guy is going to get a title in the next five years. But wanted to just ask you that and uh, yeah. have a great show, buddy. Yeah, hey, thank you for the call. I I mean, I'll use football situation right now. You would have to offer anything and everything and then pay a, a lot of and a ton of to your guy to go away. And as of right now, unless the guy that called in and talked to Kyle is accurate, Purdue still has a coach, so I, I guess those are two legitimate reasons as to why. I agree, though. Deion Sanders brings the juice, and he's always brought the juice. Wherever he has gone, he has brought it. Remember him as a Cincinnati Red? Brought the juice there, too. I get what you're saying, but those are two legitimate reasons as to why Neither one would do something like that. But I hear what you're talking about. Lord Nelson says, I was going to sell Indy tap water, East Side Blend. Well done. <laughs> I completely missed out on the whole bottled water craze. Sean writes this, so I'm heading to Southport for USI basketball practice. We'll let you know how those rims are. Thank you, Sean. They are tight. They need to loosen up a little bit. What's his name? I think his name is Brand. Is it uh, Chris Brand or what brand is it from Bloomington South? That's the head coach of Southport. There's a Chris. Chris was one. Is it the one that played at Tennessee? I just saw him the other day. He was actually walking in the gym as uh, we were finishing up playing. But, man, those rims are tight. Like, I'm going to go later on tonight and play at Center Grove West, and those those are some old man gyms right there because you can put up the biggest brick in the world, and those rims just, like, suck it down. <laughs> Shoot 90% on those things. Everything you put up there goes in. You just got to stay out of the corners because for some reason they have this cable and or wire that's going out onto the floor of play. And it's a pretty good corner defender. All right, quick break. We'll come back. Top of the hour, Charles Arbuckle of Sirius XM College Football. We'll talk about Jeff Brom. We'll talk about the Boilers if they have to go someplace else. We'll talk about the Louisville gig. We'll talk about the college football playoff, the transfer portal, and the juice of Deion Sanders in Boulder. All coming up with Charles Arbuckle. Top of the hour, 93.5, 107.5, the fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. You just got your asses whipped by a bunch of damn nerds. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. What the hell we got on here tonight? Instant replay? You know, we haven't done any um, anything goes in a while. I may get a bit of a sports arousal for it, anything goes. Maybe that tonight, maybe tomorrow, I'm not sure yet. There'll be no need tomorrow. The Pacers are still going to be in that, what's, uh, Minneapolis is central? Is that central time? So... When they get back, anything goes. We'll probably come back a little bit. Uh, Trackside tonight at 7 o'clock. It is Iowa and Duke at 9 o'clock. That is part of the Jimmy V Classic. Iowa and Duke. Uh, Rake Straw, Ben Brown, Podcast 1075thefan.com. We talked about the Andrew Nimhart game, 31 last night. Pacers win over Golden State. We've talked about a variety of things involving the Colts and uh, the rumor that um, this, the second time, the charm for Jeff Brom in the flirtation, again, reported rumored flirtation with his hometown school and his school in general, the Louisville Cardinals, Oh, to more about that and the college football playoff and Deion Sanders and the transfer portal. I had to go to a resource that we often use when we need high level college football knowledge. Our friend from Sirius XM, the college football channel, the former Colts tight end, the former UCLA great. His name is Charles Arbuckle. Hello, Charles. How are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you? And we're trying to sift through what in the world might be going on with Purdue losing Jeff Brom to Louisville, if that's going to be the case. What do you think about both sides here? Brom and the possibility of going back to Louisville, or Brom, is he better off staying in West Lafayette? What are your thoughts? Yeah, man, that's a hard one, man, because uh, the, the draw of going home is always one that, you know, we, we can say, yeah, it's not as big of a deal. It doesn't matter. But every time that, that position has been open, it seems like they want to touch, you know, Jeff Brown. They want him back. They're in the ACC now. So is that conference stable like the Big Ten? I don't know. But with all this conference movement and everything else, it may be hard for the, the folks in Purdue to realize that they're going to always be in a position where as long as he's there, if, if he doesn't leave this time, Anytime that job opens or they feel like they have to go get, you know, a, a, a Louisville Cardinal through and through, they're going to look at Jeff Brown. So I think it's just, I don't know. It's it's one of those that we we see on the surface. We always know it's there. But as a school, can they deal with it if it doesn't happen this time? Yeah, and, I, I just, I don't think, and I, I think we came to the conclusion here, and you can certainly disagree. I I think that if the overture does not occur for Brom or if he decides this isn't the time, this, this is going to be the last time, right? I mean, there's there no, wouldn't be a third no. time. I mean, it's either the time is now or it's never going to happen for him going back to Louisville. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, the only way it would possibly happen is if administration was different. But if they don't get him this time, I would think they would say, okay, we got, we got to be done with it. And do they have the money to pay him, you know, uh, as much as Purdue, I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking with the the TV contract with the Big Big Ten now, 
it makes it a lot more difficult. So I'm looking at those kind of things as far away from the sentimental value of it being a school that I attended and clearly a place that is special to him. Charles Arbuckle's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So Scott Satterfield created this drama, moving from Louisville to Cincinnati. Um, you know, oftentimes people say, well, that's an upward motion move. You know, that's a lateral move, um, whatever. What, what, what do you think move-wise that is for Scott Satterfield going from one school to the other that uh, just so it occurs these two teams are going to match up in a bowl game this bowl season? I know that's crazy. Somewhat of a not quite a lateral move, but a lateral move, right? You, you know, I think it's a little bit less if you think about the cachet. Cincinnati, Luke Fickle's done a really nice job of making them uh, on par in, in those circumstances with Louisville and Cincinnati. They've recruited really well. Um, so I think it's, it's almost a lateral move for Scott Satterfield. However, I think it was a move that he had to make. You know, I called their game this year. They were struggling. There were some times where you thought he wasn't going to make it out of the year. Team got hot. They started playing better. Um, so I think it was almost one of those, hey, if I can find the opportunity, I'm getting the hell out of here. And that's what he did. So I wasn't completely shocked uh, when I saw that news because just being in that town and understanding the Louisville fans are tough. You know, they expect a lot out of their coaching staff. And there were some things that were happening with Scott where they weren't playing as well. And I think it was one of those things that was, uh, they don't, they probably don't want to say it, but almost good riddance. And now we can find somebody else who, we think we can, you know, we'll, we'll do a, a really nice job or a better job than Scott Satterfield. And, and obviously there's a, a, an argument or a debate to be had that, you know, if you get in the sequel probably what you had wished for and wanted in the original, like the second time around is, you know, you're going to strike it gold-wise as far as Brahm is concerned here because, I mean, clearly they had interest the first time around. What, what do you think about, Charles, that Boilermaker gig? So you got your school, UCLA, you've got your rival school, USC, going into the Big Ten and playing in the Big Ten West. What's that Boilermaker football job look like with that in mind and then coming off an appearance in that Big Ten title game on Saturday? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think Purdue – they want to be considered an upper tier uh, Big Ten school. I don't think from a football perspective that's really happened for a while. They haven't been consistently, you know, in that in that upper echelon. But I think the one thing that I like is that they competed the other night. And they did make make you think for a little bit, okay, they're, they're battling Michigan. I didn't think ever that they were going to win that game, but I like how they competed. And I think that's the one thing that you're looking for if you keep Jeff Brom – and he decides to say, or if he decides to leave, who can you bring in that will now help elevate you? Because you've got all the money uh, from a standpoint of that TV deal, and you, you know, you're better than your rivals, or a bit more consistent, I would say, than your rival, Indiana. How do you get to the upper echelon? How do you get to that next tier? I think that's what the Purdue fans want, and that's what they're going to have to really look out. How's the thing going to work out? Your home base is Charlotte, North Carolina, so I'm sure you've heard a great deal about the coaching prowess at the NFL level of Matt Rule with the Panthers. So he gets canned during the season, and now he's got the gig in Lincoln to try to revitalize this Nebraska Cornhusker program, as many have tried to do before him. Is there a chance you believe that he can get it done? 
I think he can. You know, the one thing that shocked me with Matt Rule was the amount of years they gave him. You know, I mean, it's almost like these schools are competing against themselves, right? They're, they're, uh, these programs are looking like, I have to pay this guy this exorbitant amount of money. I have to do this buyout clause. And the, I don't begrudge anybody for making money. But I think we're watching it, and it's like, there's nobody else that really is. I mean, Matt Rule was a hot commodity in the college game because he has done a nice job at, you know, the schools where he was at before. Baylor was one, did a nice job of building, rebuilding that. Uh, and then Temple. But I think this Nebraska job is going to be interesting because there, there's some innate things that happen at universities. I'll, I'll just give you an example. I don't know all the, the stuff that goes on at Nebraska because I don't, I have, I've known their coaches just in meeting them, but I know just as an example of Colorado, there were coaches on that staff more, most recently with Carl, with Dan Hawkins, with um, Rick Neuheisel. And now that you have the transfer portal, Colorado has done some things on the, on the Hill that precluded them from getting grad transfers. They just talked about it today. They've allowed that to happen with Dion. I don't know why Nebraska hasn't been able to be as successful. I do know that their the recruiting pipeline in Texas dried up, which was always a, a solid base for them. They didn't get the New Jersey kids because now a lot of those kids are not going there. They'll they'll stay at the DMV schools or they'll go to Penn State, and their California connections were gone. And then the, the they would get some Florida kids occasionally. If you look at their roster now, you don't have that. So I think with Matt Rule with the transfer portal and him having that base in Texas should help them. Because, I, I mean, I, I talked to Broderick Thomas, who's, a, you know, one of the greatest Nebraska players ever. And the one thing he always tells me is, like, we should have a better stronghold in the state of Texas, Dallas and Houston in particular. And I think that's that might be the move that helps Matt Rule because he's been able to recruit all over the country. He's got a higher profile, and it, it will allow him to maybe get to those Texas roots. Now, with Dion, why did it take Colorado so long to get away from saying you have 10 classes that you took at X school? Two of them we take, the other eight we don't take. What kind of asinine stuff is that? So Dan Hawkins, had talked, they had, they, all those guys had talked about some of the challenges that they had on the Hill, meaning the administration and the, and the, the folks in academia. But Colorado, as good a school as it is, why would you do that to grad transfers even before now? And that's going to open the door for Dion to make it advantageous. So you got to think of when these schools are struggling sometimes, what are they doing administratively? They may be paying money. Yeah. Are they doing things to really help you become better and compete on that on that level? Is Dion going to crush it in Boulder? I mean, he has all the resources. If he doesn't, it's on him. If he doesn't get the – the first thing that he's done to me is I think the way he's kind of treated those kids – and I expect that out of pro coaches. I expect coaches to come in and say, look, you, we're going to like, we're either going to win with you or we're going to win without you. If you're not on board, bye. The one thing I don't like how this has happened is how some of those folks that have been treated that were already there. Let them go out gracefully and then you build whatever you want to build. Lincoln Riley had 50 transfers that left SC, and I, 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 the number may be wrong. You know, coaches are going to run people off. But I still think there's a right way to do it because you know you can now get transfers and you know you can get people in. So make sure you let people – you don't let the door hit them too 
too too badly because you start building a lot of enemies. I like Dion. I think what he's done has been great. He, he brought Jackson State back. He's gonna ha- he has a, a really good air about himself, but he's got to be careful on how he's treating people early because that stuff can come back to bite you. Is and Charles Arbuckle from Sirius XM College Football, the former Colts tight ends on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. How do you view the transfer portal? Where we are with it right now, I'll give you a great example. JT Daniels, West Virginia quarterback, looks like he's going for round number four to transfer and find a new school. Is all of what is going on, which seems incredibly chaotic, okay as long as the games every Saturday, whatever the day of the week it is, are entertaining for us in college football? Yeah, I think it's starting to become a situation where people are looking at it like, okay, how much is this like the NFL now and how much – do I want to keep being invested in this? I think the other thing is you've got it, – it's, the game has changed, and I think we've had to learn how to change with it, right? So it's just what it is. But I think the hard part is for it to change, and it, is it allowing us to still let kids graduate? Because as much as we think everybody's going to get to the league, there's a small percentage of these guys that are going to get to the league. So are they getting their education? And, and I know we say, well, they're not student athletes. Well, yeah, you go to college so you can learn. Uh, and some guys just want to go play ball, and I get that. But when you finish up and then you have to work, or even if you play 10 years in the league, you still have that other side of, of it. Not everybody's crushing it in NIL like we thought. You know, it's all those factors. So I think that's the part for me that I look at that I hope uh, from that standpoint they have the right people in their ear because if you come away and you transfer multiple times or you get in a transfer portal and you're not able to get somewhere and get to school paid for, that's going to be a hard, it's, it's going to be a lot tougher for you down the road. Uh, and I, I think that's the advice that some of these guys are getting. Hey man, transfer as much as you want. After a while, people start looking, well, it didn't work out for you there, there and there because of you, not because of the situation. So I'm interested to see how that happens, especially with those guys that are transferring multiple times or, the ones that get stuck in the transfer portal. There's going to be about 3,000, maybe 3,500 kids. There's not enough places for them to go. And I think that's the part that I look at to see how are we going to fix this because you can't keep doing this every uh, session. And why are we asinine to think that a coaching staff can go recruit right now, get ready for a bowl game, and worry about signing folks in the small window of time. Why don't we just go back to the February signing day if we're going to have this big of a push? And that'll let you honestly evaluate what's going on instead of just pushing people through or discarding them, in in essence. It's uh, Charles Arbuckle joins us. If you're a team, and obviously the Colts are one, um, I'm skeptical as to whether or not they're going to be able to get somebody that they might want as a draftable quarterback in this spring's NFL draft. But would you rather have somebody this year like a Young or a Stroud or a Levis or lay out and wait for what is more likely next year Caleb Williams coming out out of USC as a future NFL quarterback? For some reason, I think the draft class is going to be a little bit better uh, next year. But I don't. I think the other thing is in your evaluation and what you look at, who's the right fit for you. Maybe they see that that now as opposed to waiting. Or if you wait, you may not be in position to draft a Caleb Williams or somebody else. So I think those are factors that have to be decided uh, by the Colts. Just just with everything, 
their, who's going to be their coach, how they're going to go about this, but then also what are they going to do draft-wise from a quarterback position because we, they've had almost rental uh, quarterbacks here lately, right? Guys that were up in age and thinking we had this one last push to make a run, and then that hadn't worked for them. Yeah, yeah, and they're still trying to work their their way about it. Is there is there a quarterback you like that uh, we have talked about? There's still a lot lot more time to go. There's no doubt about it. You got to go through a combine and workout day and all that. But is there a quarterback that you you like as far as what is going to be draftable coming up later on this spring? Yeah, I mean, this draft class to me, a quarterback is just not one that makes me say, "Oh, I mean, that's that's a great looking group." You know what I mean? It, it's it's a little bit. I want to see when we go through the whole process and as they work through what what the coaches think. I'm just not as high on this draft class as I, I have been in the past. And that's just, you know, C.J. Stroud is a, good, is a good player. Stetson Bennett, I think, is a great college player. I don't think he'll be an NFL player. You know, it's those kind of things that you look at to say, who is going to be that next quarterback that maybe comes out of nowhere? I don't know if Will Levis, all the things that I was thinking about him, I've got second thoughts. It's really hard to say I love a quarterback in this class right now. A lot of people tell me that Levis kind of falls short this season because he didn't have similar weapons as he did a year ago. Was that a part of the equation with the kid from Kentucky? It could be. You know, I'd say the guy that that I kind of like the best, is, and he's shown a lot, is Bryce Young. I think Bryce would be the guy that if you had a chance to, a little bit undersized, but I still think he has some innate ability, and, and he's shown that with a bad, like a bad Alabama offensive line, which is probably better than most in the country, still been able to play at a high level. I think Will Levis with the big size and strong arm and, and some of those things, maybe it's the situation of who his coordinator will be in the, in, in the NFL, because I think that's the one thing I look at. He's got a pro, he's got a pro body and a pro arm. But is it going to translate? And can you teach him, you know, get away from some of the bad habits maybe that he's developed? I think C.J. Stroud will be another guy that's highly looked at because of his ability to move and get out of out of harm's way. Now, is it a system that Ryan Day has, or is it C.J. Stroud? And C.J. Stroud has some top-notch college receivers. So some people may look at it and say, is it the receivers or is it C.J.? So those, those are the kind of things you'll look at and, and you, you just kind of wonder as you're looking through the draft uh, process. But Bryce Young, right away, top of mind, I would say he would be the guy that I like the best before we go into that, you know, the draft, the whole, the whole draft process. College football with Charles Arbuckle right down the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. What are your thoughts on Anthony Richardson coming out of Florida at quarterback? People will say on one side that he has, you know, athletic talent, um, capabilities that you just can't teach and others don't have. But on the other side, they suggest that um, it's probably way too early for him to take this swing at the NFL. How does he translate, you think, at the next level at quarterback? Yeah, I, I didn't see it consistently enough from him. I mean, he's, he really, really looks the part. But I just didn't see it consistently enough for me to say, yeah, this is a guy that I want to give my whole franchise to. I, you know, and I think with you, I think there's some things that he still needs to work on that he can be better at. I, I like his size. I like all of that. But it was just times when I watched him this year that I'm like, 
he's not ready to play at the next level. And I think, you know, if you look at it, you can look at a guy like Malik Willis, who was was talented but still probably set, went to the best place he could with Tennessee so he can learn, and that's only going to make him better. I think Anthony Richardson has to be in the same situation. That's what I see from watching film of him and not watching every single game that, he, that he's played, but just kind of getting an understanding of him as a player. He's a little bit older. He's going to come off an injury situation where, at the time, he was leading his team and having an outstanding year. How do you view somebody like Hendon Hooker, a quarterback, on the next level? You know, I think what will help him is that he's been able to show he, he fought through adversity. He is a little bit older, but when he was healthy this year, he played at a really high level. And I think, is it a system? Or is he going to be able to do that at the next level? I think that's going to be a lot of what's, you know, challenged with Hendon Hooker. Um, but, man, when, before he got hurt, he was playing some really good football. But then again, is it because of uh, the system that he's in? Or can he, can he do that consistently outside of that? And I think that's going to be the big question mark for him as he goes through that draft process because he won't be able to participate in it because due to injury. So you'll have to do a lot more board work. You'll have to do a lot more, you know, seeing how he plays above the shoulders as opposed to physically. Um, Charles Arbuckle's with us. So your college football playoff, that's going to be interesting to say the least. And I want to really kind of eyeball in on TCU. That overtime loss to Kansas State, the Big 12 title game this past Saturday. But somebody that showed out big time was Max Duggan, the quarterback. What do you think about Max Duggan at the next level, the NFL level? Is that a possibility, or are we seeing his ceiling come down at this level in college football right now? I think Max has worked himself into possibly getting, you know, being on the t- NFL team. I don't, I don't know if he's a high round draft pick, but what I like about him is he's played a lot of football uh, before early in the season. He was. They were going to play Tarleton State. I called a game, and he wasn't even the starter the week before. Uh, Chandler Morris, I think, his son, uh, Chad Morris' son was a starter, got hurt, and then was going to miss some significant time. And even then, they were telling us, "Hey, we really like him. He's a you know coach's kid, just understands and he battles." And sure enough, I think he's taken advantage of the opportunity, and he may have worked himself into a, a nice situation because he's shown how he can play. And if he plays well in the college football playoff, that's more eyeballs and that's more opportunities against top-tier teams. Not quite NFL teams, but it's teams that will have a lot of guys that will be playing at the next level uh, consistently. So I think he's got a real good chance to, to improve and show, put some more good stuff on tape. And I think that's all you can ask for. If he's able to do that, we may be talking a little bit differently. Maybe he is a higher-round draft pick. Right now, but starting the season, you can only imagine how he's gone from not even being a, a starter to a Heisman Trophy candidate. I think he's really helped himself, and he can only help himself more if he plays well uh, in however many games he's able to play in the college football playoffs. He's Charles Arbuckle with us. A final thing on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. How do you break down this college football playoff from Georgia to Ohio State? Michigan and TCU. Um, what's your fascination? What's your thought and how this thing is going to work itself out? Well, until I can see somebody beating Georgia, I think Georgia wins it all. Um, I, 
I don't I know they they were just a class above even without like explosive skill guys on the outside because their defense was really strong. And I and as much as I didn't want to give Stetson Bennett as much credit last year, the kid is a winner. <laughs> he just plays. He he understands. And Kirby has got them playing well. So right now when I look at it without watching a whole lot of film on all the different teams, I say Georgia um, it looks like Georgia, Georgia's to win unless somebody can play them well. Now I'll say this: Ohio State's passing game, if they're able to get in there and play um, consistently like they were earlier in the season, their defense just worries me the most. But they have the most explosive offense besides TCU, so it, it's going to be interesting, man. I, I'm really looking forward to to watching how. The, the 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 matchups early are and then the, the final game because it's it's intriguing. We've got teams that are, you know like TCU never been in it, to so the other teams that have been in it but now with different skill weapons and, and players. So I think Georgia has the best shot to win right off. You know if you're looking at it from just the top of mind, but it'll be interesting to watch over these next few weeks how guys get prepared and how they're ready to play. Uh, come that semifinal game. Man, it's always a pleasure. I'll tell you what, we'll find out a little bit more and get back with you toward the tail end and certainly before we get into some of these combines and what we're looking at because this Colts team, no doubt, will be eyeballing a quarterback and they're probably going to play bad enough to at least sniff and maybe try to add a little something to try to get up there and get their long-term quarterback of the future. But we'll be on it with you to see uh, who you like, who you don't like, and uh, some of the things that are going to go down before the, the beginning of the year. Charles, I appreciate you more than you know. All right, man. Y'all take care. Thanks. It's, uh, Charles Arbuckle of Sirius XM College Football Radio on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Bobby Boom says, Charles is the first person I've ever heard mention Stetson Bennett as an NFL prospect just because of his accomplishments as a quarterback with his team. A sniff. I don't know what after that. I will say this. Watching Duggan play in TCU and Kansas State, he was fun as hell to watch. There's no doubt he's a badass. Uh, NFL badass, probably not. But on the collegiate level with that TCU team, that was fun to watch. Quick break and we'll return. We've got Yacht Rock review tickets to give away. That's New Year's Eve at the Mira'o National Center. Tickets are available right now. I've got a pair to give when you hear a Yacht Rock re-entry. That'll be easily identifiable. Number nine is going to get a shot to go to this thing. Now, you also know this, that the Jamvi Takeover starts coming up on New Year's Eve. That's going to be the best party around as well. So you're going to have to listen to that and then be a part of the Yacht Rock Review on New Year's Eve. But your chance to win is coming up in the next 30 minutes. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Can I buy you guys a drink? Guess not. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. All right, trackside, 7 o'clock tonight, everybody. Iowa and Duke. 9 o'clock, the Jimmy V Classic can be heard right here. Greg Rakestraw, Ben Brown, and Charles Arbuckle. Podcast 107.5thefan.com. This is not Yacht Rock. Thank you very much. 
Inside the Lounge via YouTube Live, where it has been an active day. You guys have been fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, a lot of other conversations going on as well so far today, too. And uh, we, we talked a lot of Pacers, a lot of last night. Andrew Nemhart with a 31, their win over Golden State. Some Colts stuff. A lot of college football. Jeff Brom stuff. A tipster phone call regarding Jeff Brom's stuff. Litzy writes this, JMV, this just in, no power naps in the truck in Fishers this week. <laughs> Jason Ellis writes this, I may be too young to be a movie critic when they were first released, but The Empire Strikes Back is better than the original Star Wars, which was called A New Hope. Um, I would, because of the... At At Walker or the ATAT Walker, I would love to agree with you because of Hoth, the ice planet. But the problem that Empire Strikes Back has that Star Wars does not is the boring scenes on the Dagobah system with the incredibly boring puppet known as Yoda. That's a ruiner for me right there. You got to turn that off and wait until they go see Billy D. Williams. <laughs> I mean, I can't do it. I am not a fan of Yoda. Yoda is overrated. So the fact that the original Star Wars, A New Hope, did not have that. That gets the nod over The Empire Strikes Back. My opinion. Right there. JMV. I'm not sure about Saturday giving inventory. However, Saturday has shown he's not an NFL coach. Tough to argue that, too. And as I said yesterday, if you really, truly, if you thought he was going to be the head coach of this team and it mattered the results, you would not have thrown him in where you did because you were going to get these results anyway. This stuff was all coming, whether it was Frank or anybody else. This was all coming. This was all going to happen. So now you have established, for example, Shane, with your opinion on Jeff Saturday as being the gospel. And it is going to be incredibly tough. If Jim Irsay, for example, wanted to legitimize him in the future for the head coach, going to be tough to walk that back. Michael Gigi says Spaceballs JMV is better than both. Yeah, Steve, I'm just not, I'm not a Yoda. I, I, that makes me fall asleep with the Yoda scenes. I go, goodness. Out here doing handstands and your ex-wing fighters sinking into the swamp and you're all sweaty and dirty and trying to eat in that little tiny play. I just don't like it. Hey, JJ's talking Deion Sanders at 239-1070. JJ, welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on, boss? You Good to right? hear from you. Thanks for the call. Hey, real quick, I know you need to get to the uh, uh, the Yacht Rock uh, winner and everything, but we do need to get another Daymar going since you did lose that one. I mean, I'm just going right. Yeah, we yeah. do. We do, don't we, JJ? We got to get that together. The day, um, By the way, the Daymar folks love us. We're like, yeah, well, I mean, I, we, are, we are a nonstop river of donations because of us. They love that, and I'm glad. I'm proud to be a part of it. From an, uh, an awesome song, let's keep the candle burning. <laughs> what else you got, JJ? Hey, real quick, uh, only Deion Sanders 
with the players and everything. It's mixed reviews. You probably already said something about it, but I'm putting a little two cents in. Yeah. I remember I played JV for Muncie Central, and I remember the coach, when I made the team, he pulled me to the side, and Coach Small said, hey, you made the team, but you're not going to see the time. You're not going to see the court. You may not see the court at all. He, he, he broke it down to me to where it's like, hey, look, you can, you know, you can – Transfer to the school. You can stay here and support the team. You can do what you want. But it made a whole lot of sense. I'd rather you come up front and do that for me instead of say, hey, look, there's a chance for you, buddy. You can do it. You can make it, you know. All right, so what he's doing there, that gave everybody notice that he's coming in to change the culture of Colorado, you know. And it actually, I was better for it because watching the court from that far side of the pine, allowed me to ref high school basketball for 23 years. And now I'm on the court, and I get the most court time in the coach camp for me now. (laughs) I'll tell you this, JJ, the thing that it's going to do for the Pac-12 is give it some watchability that, you know, even with, you know, Lincoln Riley at USC and, you know, Caleb Williams at USC, uh, the Pac-12 are going to lose that with UCLA and USC. And, you know, it wasn't like that that was the most watched college football product this year either. So that's going to give it some a level of interest and watchability that it simply did not have prior to, and especially with that school. Agreed. It'll keep cover for sure for the Pac-12. My question is this also. You know, they're talking about all the coaches that can transfer and how schools can't seem to afford them and everything. It's because, or is it, I'm asking, I'm going to let you go because you got to get to what you need to get to. Is it because these coaches that they let go of are like eating it and now they have, they don't have enough to get the marquee coaches coming in over the Ah, uh, man, I thought I just lost you. Did you interpret any of that? Oh, I missed it. Sorry about it. Your phone just gave out, JJ. I appreciate that. Not the phone giving out, but your call. Yeah, you're going to be a lot more juice with Deion Sanders being the coach of Colorado. I think I saw this a little bit earlier. I think it was Stuart Mandel that gave, what, the top um, 10 most watched college football games of the season, and there was not a Pac-12 game among them. That is certainly going to bring a little bit of juice, you would think. And I, I understand it. I will say this. The latter portions of the season, uh, USC worked themselves into watchability, and then you watch them in that Pac-12 title game last Friday. And they, <laughs> Getting worked over by Utah. That's pretty funny. But Deion Sanders will give them that if for nothing else. And we'll certainly see what he does there. Sean Ritter writes this, Godfather 2 might be better than The Godfather. I've seen bits and pieces of The Godfather. Did you know I have never seen Godfather 2? Crazy, I know. I'll give you something else that's even more crazy from the 1990s. Do you know, I thought about this today, I have never seen The Usual Suspects. You know that? Never seen it. Me neither. Well, nobody's surprised about that. Yeah, I've never seen Godfather either, by the way. But with me, I've seen bits and pieces, not all the way through from start to finish of The Godfather, enough to know. Never seen Godfather 2, and I have never seen... Usual suspects. 
Kind of crazy. Jim Hudson says Austin Powers, whatever's two. That's the spy who shagged me, I believe. 100 times better than the original. Thank you very much. Hey, JMV, we appreciate it today that you did not dive into the whole Andrew Luck. I want to go back to that just and reaffirm my position. There's no bitterness. There's no animosity. There's no jealousy with the rider getting the, I, I don't care about any of that. I don't care about any of that because I don't care any longer about what the reasons were behind Andrew Luck bowing out when he did. At the time, it was all about timing. But after the two years, after the two years of that, the Colts should have by now been able to put something, cobble something back together, and they've been unable to do so. So to me, that's all run out. And I have heard enough. Heard enough. The only thing at all, and I, I did read it because I got to stay on top of things, but the only thing that was interest is the, I guess you would call it a premonition that Frank Reich received when he was listening to the police's song Message in a Bottle, and they were singing the lyrics, sending out an SOS. And he felt compelled to call Andrew Luck and said, this is a sign that I should call you to see if you are able to return, if you want to return. And I just find that kind of funny because of the pop culture aspect. Otherwise, not so much. So that's why. That's why we haven't talked about it today. I just haven't felt compelled, and I don't think you have either. It just kind of seems like we have all moved on. There are certain subjects that we never, or at least here, I don't know if others do, and maybe they do, that I don't bring up. Andrew Luck stuff, Ryan Grigson stuff, Bob Knight old school stuff. Class basketball, old school stuff. Pete Rose, Hall of Fame stuff. And this, to me, goes into that category now. And as I think, most of you feel pretty compelled in your own right to move on to. So, again, there's no animosity at all. SPT says, not watching Godfather 2, usual suspect, saying New Hope is better than The Empire Strikes Back. This is ludicrous. Uh, Star Wars, I still had better better toys, a Kenner toy collection than The Empire Strikes Back did too. The Death Star, Millennium Falcon, TIE Fighter, all better. <laughs> Adam says, the usual suspects, garbage. Hashtag host, hot take. Ben and Greenwood says, the usual suspects is overrated. You are missing out on The Godfather 1 and 2 though. JMV. Revenge of the Nerds 4 really was lacking due to Gilbert's absence. <laughs> well, I think Ted McGinley was only in there during the original, right? I don't know. And everybody always said that Ted McGinley was the actor that came in and ruined stuff. Ted McGinley came in and ruined Happy Days. Ted McGinley came in and ruined Married with Children. Ted McGinley added to the greatness that is the 1984 classic revenge of the nerds he added to it he was the perfect crank the perfect college quarterback the perfect 
better than everybody else crank. The perfect fraternity crank. Beautiful. You guys are great. Thanks for playing off of that. Quick break, and we'll come back for the final time. All right, we end right at 6. We got Trackside at 7, Iowa and Duke coming at you at 9 o'clock tonight. Back in studio again tomorrow. Andrew Nimhard later on this week is the expectation. Normal Wednesday stuff and your chance to win Yacht Rock Review tickets not too far away. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. There's a kid in my class that got a boner at PE in high school. He was wearing sweatpants. It's really embarrassing, so this song goes out to him. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Oh, crank this up for me, Kyle. I'll always love you. I'm going to keep some time here for you guys. And I can't change that. The incredibly underrated of all time, Ray Parker Jr., everybody. Ray Parker Jr. and radio right here. And you can't change that. Oh, that's a great song. Yacht Rock Review, New Year's Eve coming to the Mira'o National Center. Tickets are on sale right now. It is going to be the best way to party and start the year 2023 off right. That's coming up New Year's Eve. I got a pair of tickets going out to number nine at 239-1070 right now. And, of course, radio featuring Ray Parker Jr. Indeed, Yacht Rock. That is, I think, from 1979. You can't change that from radio. Oh, man, Ray Parker Jr. is so incredibly underrated. Everybody thinks about Ghostbusters and the fact that they got sued, right, for copyright infringement. Huey Lewis and the News, because Huey Lewis and the News determined that it sounded way too much like I want a new drug. Seriously, Ghostbusters want a new drug. Check that out. But, man, some of that stuff in the 80s when he went out and did his solo Solo stuff was outstanding. The other woman, Bad Boy is my favorite. I enjoy winter on that New Year's Eve extravaganza over at the Miral National Center. Which should be fantastic. A night with Yacht Rock Review. JMV, Terminator 2 is better than the original. I'd have to disagree because I don't like the yoked up Linda Hamilton. I like the 1984 version, the hot look, the ready-to-party Linda Hamilton. I don't like the Linda Hamilton that would easily whip my ass. I don't like that one. I want the ready-to-party 84 version of it. Uh, JMV, I heard you talking about Jeff Brom a little bit earlier. Do you really think he's going to end up leaving Purdue? I think that this is the opportunity. The time is now. Uh, we'll find out, but yes. If you were going to ask me if I were a betting person, if I think that he is going to leave and take the gig in Louisville, be offered the gig first and foremost, and then take the gig in Louisville, I will say yes. A good news for Jimmy Garoppolo, no Liz Franck injury. Uh, broken foot, much like me. 
because I've had like two broken, as I'm going to say from Southern Indiana, broken feet in the past year, little fifth metatarsal problem I've had in both. Much like me, he's not going to have to have surgery either. He's just going to go like me and just like wake this thing out and come back ready to go. Me and Garoppolo, both incredibly handsome and very tough. Like brothers. But he will avoid surgery, and they suggest if Frisco goes deep into the postseason that there is a possibility for a return for Garoppolo. Now, I'm assuming what seven to eight weeks means they're going to have to significantly go deep. Big 10 tonight, number 17, Illinois, number two, Texas. I believe that is a part of the Jimmy V Classic coming up later on this evening as well. Yeah, right here you've got Iowa and Duke coming at you. 9 o'clock, I think, is the pregame coverage. And 9.30 or thereabouts is when we will join the tip for that one. Uh, 9 o'clock coming up here. Yale and Butler. Not the quiz bowl, but basketball at Hinkle Fieldhouse later on tonight. A lot of you are going out there 6-3. and three. And 5-0 and oh inside the friendly confines of Hinkle Fieldhouse, the Butler Bulldogs versus Yale. Yale is 8-1 and one on the season. The lone loss for Yale, Kyle, do you know who that is? This is where oh, Deion really? Sanders is going right now. Oh, really? Colorado? Colorado beat Yale. 65-62. Yale with winners. They have eight wins this season. Sarah Lawrence... Eastern Washington, Mississippi Valley State, Hawaii, Vermont, Howard, and Stony Brook are their eight wins on the season. And you have Yale and Butler coming at you. I believe 630 is that game over at Hinkle Fieldhouse later on tonight. So sit back and enjoy that as much as you can. Uh, JMV, you've never seen the Godfather original all the way through. I have not. JMV, did you see that Portugal scored? They scored five goals today, I think, as it turned out. Portugal, without Cristiano Ronaldo, who was benched, came in as a sub. The guy that replaced him, his name is Ramos. Six goals, in fact. Six to one over the Swiss. Ramos had a hat trick. I am really going to miss the World Cup. Getting back after dropping the kids off to school and then watching that 10 a.m. match, I'm really going to miss the World Cup. To me, I'm not the biggest soccer fan in the world, but I'm enough to want to sit there and love the fact that that is going on in the early morning like that. I'm going to miss it a great deal. I am. Shout out to World Cup soccer. Greg Rakestraw. Ben Brown of PFF broke down the Colts' numbers as ugly as they were on Monday night a little bit earlier. And Charles Arbuckle, all you need to know about Jeff Brom, about Louisville, about Purdue, and the landscape of college football, especially those available quarterbacks in the draft. Podcast with Charles Arbuckle, 107.5thefan.com. Kyle, great job out of you. Back right here in studio, lounge on YouTube live, coming up tomorrow at 3 with 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Have a great night. Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. 
3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Meekum experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Meekum.com.